0: You know, stories have the power to do a lot in our lives. One of the things that stories have the power to do is to make sense of this world. Uh, stories have the capacity of to kind of just help us make sense of what in the world this world is going on. Uh, I want for us to go on a little journey. Imagine, if you would, 3,000 years ago, a uh, father and son are walking in, in the nighttime in the Middle East And they stop and they look up in the sky and they see all these stars. And the son tells his father, dad, I don't know where these stars came from. Where did did the heavens come from? And the father says, oh, well, there's a story that I want to tell you. A long time ago, before this world was created, before you or I were here, before even the stars were here, there were gods. And these gods hated one another. These gods were always in battle against one another. They were always trying to seek more power and control. And one of these gods, her name was Tiamat. She was the god of the ocean. And she killed this other god. And his son was named Marduk. And Marduk was the god of the winds and storms. And he swore that he would one day kill Tiamat. So this battle raged on and on until finally Tiamat and Marduk were coming against one another, and it looked like Tiamat was about to devour Marduk, and then he sent into her mouth evil winds, and he pulled out a bow and arrow, and he shot, and he killed her, went straight through her heart. And then, if this isn't as interesting enough as it is already, (laughs) Marduk then filleted Tiamat, because she would look like a fish, and he raised that top fillet and raised Tiamat's body way up high in the sky, and that's that's where you get the heavens. And on Tiamat's body, the blood began to, to, to kind of come together. And all of those blood spots ended up becoming the stars that you and I see right now. And the sun goes, well, what about here? What about this land? Ah, well, that's the second filet. The second filet, Marduk took the body and he, and he put it down here and it became this world. And that's where we're standing on right now well, what about you and I? Oh, we too are the blood from her body as it mixed into the mud. That's where you and I came from. Ah, oh, now it all makes sense, right? <laughs> you can see how for someone, if they had that story and picked up this lens, and you can see how that would color and dictate a lot of what they saw in this world, their understanding of, why they're here, what the point of life is, how suffering and chaos came to be, it would paint that picture for you. It would help you make sense. Now, if you were to put that lens right next to what else was happening around that time, this small group of people known as the Hebrews, they were coming together, sharing the story of an all-different type of creation, a totally different story in which they saw this world Each other in God. And notice the the contrast between both of them. Rather than this world being created out of uh, conflict and battle, that we were created from God's unity before all time, that God existed not in boredom or isolation, but in perfect unity. And it was out of that perfect unity and harmony that God said, Let's create more so that our image could fill more and more of this universe. And so created through order and abundance. If you notice in the creation account, there's three days where it seems as if God is kind of setting up the structure, the order of things, and then three days where all of a sudden abundance and teeming is happening, being fruitful and multiplying. And we see how that difference, we also see the understanding of why we're here. We're here not by just, circumstance or chance or just the result of battle, but we're here out of a God who created us and called us good. We're created with a sense of purpose and significance. Just imagine how different your life would be if you chose a different lens to see the world. In many ways, that's what stories are. That's what stories are. Stories are lenses that help us make sense of this world. Whether it's the Babylonian story of create, how uh, God created, the gods created the world, or the Hebrew story that we have in Genesis. Stories help us give a lens to understand this world. And every culture has a story. Every culture shares a story. The unique thing is I believe that God's story will always be different than this world. Why? Because God's ways are higher than our ways. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts and so we have to wonder what story in which we believe flannery o'connor is a great uh, uh, narrative story writer she mostly wrote short stories she had this great saying that you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you odd and that picture is a little odd flannery o'connor was an odd person wrote stories of odd people but what she was trying to say is that if you truly know the truth that you should be different you should be quirky You should be funky. Why? Because you believe something different. Not by wearing weird Christian clothing. A breadcrumb and fish t-shirt isn't what we're talking about, right? Not by only listening to Christian labeled music. Not odd in the way we, we talk where no one else understands us. But we're odd by the way in which we see this world, we speak of God, And we care and sacrificially love our neighbor. That is what should make us odd and different. So, are we an odd people telling an odd story of an odd God? A.W. Tozier shared this quote that has resonated with me lately. This is one of the ways in which you can know what kind of story you are telling. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The reason why this has stuck with me is I disagreed with it for a long time. There's more important things about us than what we think of when we think of God. But there's something to this that's really been nagging me. The reason why is what comes into your mind when you think about God will form and shape everything else. What comes into your mind when you think about God will change how you live. It will change how you see this world. It will change how you see other people. So, what comes in our mind when we think about God what if we were asked out of our culture? Okay, Austin, what comes to your mind when you think about God? Our day and our age. One of the ways in which we know what we think and what we believe is looking at our children, right? They're great mirrors. We had some friends over last night for dinner and uh, recognized that anytime time the three-year-old daughter uh, would get angry at her dad, she would call, she would call him babe. <laughs> but babe, I have eaten enough. And I'm like, oh, I know how your marriage is. I know what your word is. Babe, our children and our youth are great mirrors for us. Uh, There was an awesome study that was done in 2005 where sociologists, Christian Smith and Melinda didn't. They, They looked at our youth to see what we thought of God. And they did a study. They're from the University of North Carolina. And they wrote a book called Soul Searching where they described American youth's version or view of God, the way that they had been taught. Isn't this an interesting idea? This is several of the beliefs that again and again rose to the surface. One, a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Pretty good. Two, God wants people to be good and nice and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible as Well, as in most world religions. Three, the central goal of life is to be happy, to feel good about oneself. Four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. The heavenly fixer, right? So God in heaven popping in whenever we have a problem, popping back out when we're done. The fifth view Good people go to heaven when they die. Do we see this view of God in our lives and in our culture? Is this the story in which our world is telling? The researchers, they end up using three terms to describe this idea of God as, as taught in our American culture. And the, the view of God is, in three words, moralistic, therapeutic deism. That is the God in which our culture might be believing in, seeing That God is moralistic, therapeutic deism. Moralistic means that God's goal for our lives, for our lives, is to make us moral and good. God is the ultimate nice police, making us nice, good people. And also, that is how you reach God. The only way you get to God is if you're moral, kind, good. Therapeutic. The extent of God's involvement in our lives is to potentially give us happiness. That's God's role in our life, to make us happy. And the only time where God steps into our world is to fix a problem. Finally, deism. Deism is a, is a theological idea that some people hold of God Is God is the removed creator. That God is much like a watch winder who winds up the watch, leaves it on the beach, and then walks away. And that is God's role in this world. I believe the story of God in our scripture, God of The gospel, the living God is something altogether different, more beautiful than the lens, the story in which our culture and our world are speaking of God. And how is the story of Jesus different? John 1 gave us a beautiful picture. In the beginning was the word Jesus, and Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning, This shares a different story of Jesus, unlike the world's idea of Jesus. He was not just a good version of a human or an example. The beginning of Jesus' story is the beginning of the big story. Jesus was not a new tactic that God adopted to help try to fix the world. He was with God from the beginning for of all time. Jesus, Father, Holy Spirit experienced perfect unity, perfect relationship. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus was not merely just God for all time, but he was also the universe's creator. He created you, created all that we see. Every person whom Jesus met, he already knew, for he was their creator. Every man, every woman, every loaf of bread, the cup of wine and the Last Supper, the Garden of Gethsemane, the thorns, the cross, all Jesus created and intimately knew. Furthermore, Jesus was the light and the source of life, that which sustains life and brings about life. If you want to experience life and healing that is found in Jesus. If there would be no Jesus, there would be no life. There would be darkness and formlessness. Do you see how a different story of Jesus John is picturing for us? A story of Jesus that's totally different than this world might share? If you want life, Jesus is your source. He was was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not even recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. He didn't give them the right to be happy, moral. He gave them something altogether different. They became children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human's decision, or husband's will, but born of God. Jesus came to his creation and was rejected. This didn't stop him, though. He was on this rescue mission from the heart of God to radically transform humanity and this world, to transform you, to transform me, that we could be, and here's the goal, restored in relationship. The, the bedrock of the story of Jesus is this idea of relationship, restored relationship, or if we want to use a churchy word, communion. That God longs for us to have communion with him. Verse 14 goes on. The word became flesh, and think of how this story is different than the story that our world tells. The word became flesh, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. John could have used a bunch of other words that wasn't, weren't as crude as flesh. Flesh was a crude word. It could have been body. The word became human. No, John said the word became flesh. This is the same word in which Paul uses to describe the sin nature within humanity, that Jesus went all the way down, not deist, not removed, but into the very depth of humanity so that his dwelling place, God's tabernacle, could be among us, it could be here, it could be with us, that we have seen his glory in flesh of all things to make the most crude sacred. This story of Jesus goes right alongside the story of God that our world and our culture might be speaking of. And it puts us in a bit of a crisis. C.S. Lewis said it like this. He said that you're going to have to make a decision that this you can't just make Jesus out to be a mere teacher. He's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he might be Lord. He said this. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something even worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit on him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. And he does not intend to. C.S. Lewis is saying, you've got to make your choice. What lens are you going to use to see God? What lens are you going to use? For Jesus did not give us an option of this deist removed God that was far away. The word came flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood, as Eugene Peterson said. The problem is that Jesus is not removed. The problem is that in verse 10, as we saw, we didn't recognize him or we don't want to choose him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Jesus' goal is not to be deist, but to be with us, to be your Emmanuel, God with you. And you know when tragedy happens, there's few places where you feel like you have a rock to stand upon. This idea will sink into your heart and soul, that Jesus is with you. That's a rock you can stand on. Jesus is not meant to be therapeutic. Jesus is giving us a story of a God who heals, doesn't merely make us happy. And how did Jesus bring about healing? Is through his own suffering, through his own wounds. God in flesh identified with our suffering and gave us hope that it's not the end of the story. Sometimes our problems of life are not fixed. We will suffer and we will hurt, yet at least we know that God has chosen to experience suffering alongside of us that we could have a companion through our suffering so we know that he's gonna be our companion and draw us into hope eternal. But this isn't the end of the story. The story of Jesus is not a story of a God who wants to make us moral. It is the, God, the story of a God who wants us in right relationship to become children of God, See, morality has to do with you, with your actions. But see, God wants more. God wants the deepest part of you, the part that doesn't act, the part that's quiet, is untouched. God wants to claim that as a part of his love. And for me, the reason why this is so important to talk about is it's so dangerous if we were to allow the idea of the story of the gospel to be blended in with the story that this world is telling. Because that idea of the moralistic theistic, deism and Jesus, they're as similar as that creation accounts that we heard at the very beginning of the sermon. They're as drastically different from one another. It's not an alteration or a tweak. It's a story altogether different. This is the reason why. If we were to become moral, if that was the goal in our life that God had for us, we would win in all the categories that do not matter. I'm not saying morality is bad, but it doesn't save, and it leads to pride. It leads to navel-gazing, me focused on what I'm doing right, my own sin management, and by the way, what you're doing wrong compared to what I'm doing right or what at least I let out that I'm doing right. And Jesus might come to people who are very moral and say the same words that he said to Nicodemus, you are far from the kingdom. In your morality, you are far from the kingdom, but there's one thing you must do, and what was that one thing? Be born again. Be born again. And that, by the way, you don't choose to do. I do that in you. But you've got to surrender yourself and lay yourself down. If, God, if we were to believe this God, idea that God is our therapist to make us happy, shouldn't we be outraged when tragedy happens? If our view of God is to protect us and dole out happiness, insecurity shouldn't we just be infuriated when God doesn't act when God remains silent that's not the story of the gospel when suffering and pain comes to us especially when we've been moral if that is our view of God we're going to lose sight of the God who offers restoration through his own wounds what if our happiness is not the most important part of life Finally, if we believe that God is deist and distant, we lose this idea of the grass-saturated center of the gospel, that God is here right now and wants you to experience him, a true relationship. This idea of God in our culture is not only wrong, it is dangerous for us to call as a part of the gospel. We have to reclaim the true story of Jesus in our life, that Jesus provoked in his father's love, went to great length to be with us, to restore us, to provide us a savior. So I just want to leave you with two questions for us to grapple with. Which story do you truly hold of God? Do you have a story of a God who wants you just to be nice and kind and moral? God who promises to protect you and give you happiness and shelter you without suffering? God who you don't feel like is that you don't feel like is here. The most important thing about you are your thoughts of God because they change everything in your personhood and in your life. If you believe in the story of the gospel, if you believe in that view of Jesus, you will have to live differently because there's no way we could truly believe in that odd story and live a normal life. You would have to be different. You'd have to be funky. You'd have to live differently. The truth shall make us odd. The second question I'd like to leave with you is: What story are we telling of Jesus? What is the story we're telling? I was processing this sermon with a couple of uh, men this past week, and we were talking, and we we're talking about the culture and our story of Jesus. And we kind of we do this often in church world. We quickly went to saying how this culture in this world is just going to hell. You know, like these young people, they have just no clue. For me, when I when I hear that youth are saying, this is our view of Jesus, I go, we have done a really poor job. If that is w- the way that they're forming their view of Jesus, then, man, we have got to re-enchant the story of the gospel. We have got to re-enchant, dust off the true story of Jesus. A story in which that Jesus came in, body to came in flesh to love us, to, to come come into the broken places of our life. The greatest way we can tell the story is not only in word, but also in be indeed. John, first John 4 says it like this. This is love, not that we loved God, that's the story of morality, right? But that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. More than a therapist, more than making us happy, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also love one another. For no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, we get to make it in flesh. God lives in us. He's not removed. He lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. We get to tell the story of Jesus when we are people who are sacrificially loving one another and telling that story. Did you hear the message of grace in this? This is an invitation. This is an invitation that comes to each of us. This age-old story comes to us and invites us to participate, to reclaim your role in this story that the fragrance of Christ could fill this world, to fill your home, fill your family, fill your life. My encouragement for you today is to choose to look through the lens of the gospel at this world, but also at yourself, that you have been wildly loved so that you can wildly love this world. Choose to look through that lens. Tell the story of Jesus, because that story is what this world is dying to hear. Amen.